We've never spent this much money, even as much as we had originally. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program, a very big week in the world of politics, both in the campaign side and the official side, fellas. It's going to be a big one. That's right. We've, uh, well, I got some big primaries today, uh, which will, I think, largely round out the Senate field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the big one, of course, Missouri, uh, but also Arizona. And once those two contests are settled, I think we'll have a Pretty good idea of who the Republican candidates are, huh? And and that's a great reminder. You know, I know a lot of folks listen to us first thing in the morning. Get out there, vote. Make sure you get the candidate of your choice on the ballot for November. The red wave is something we're doing, not something that's happening. And it's going to take, you know, you got to get out there. You got to vote. Make your voice heard. That's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and not only just for your own vote, also your pocketbook. We should uh, yeah. make sure that you're doing your predict it thing. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, look, these contests are wide open. Primaries are really fun to bet on predict it. Yeah. Yes. And uh, just remember our predictit.org backslash promo backslash ruthless 20 will get you 20 free bucks, matching bucks to bet on your favorite candidates. Yeah. I mean, why not? Right. Yeah. It's been doing pretty good. Pretty good lately. Predicted's been very kind to me lately. Yeah, you've been killing it. Doing some good bets, you know. I, I love the way the markets are moving. It's basically, you know, red wave kind of stuff. So you're, you're a market Our side mover. is loving it. 20 bucks for free. Sounds great. It does sound great. So, you know, look, uh, the back end of all these primaries today, I think Thursday we've decided we're going to do like a Senate landscape yeah. piece, right? Yeah. It's been probably too long since we've done any sort of serious analysis of these races. Yeah. And... Uh, so we'll get knee deep in all of that on Thursday, but you know we'll wait to see what the results are tonight. I, I'm I'm excited. I want to see the like state of the Senate breakdown. Yeah, like we'll get actual insight from Holmes, and then me just saying insane shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be a great. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't want to toot our I don't want to toot our own horns here. I mean, we we would never do such yeah, a thing. Yeah, never. Not here on the Ruthless Variety program, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a better place to get the state of the Senate map than, than yeah. right here on the Variety program. Well, a lot of people come to us one way or another, so now we're just providing it here to all of our listeners. And, and, that's, that, right. and that's the thing is, is you know, a lot of these uh, conservative candidates, they don't get a fair shake when they're when they're on CNN, when, when they're on, you know, the, the traditional media organizations. We've pretty much interviewed every single primary candidate that's going to be on a ballot today. Totally. Every single one of them has appeared on our show. And our listeners have been able to hear them while we give them a true fair shake, you know, which is something that no media organization does. Very so. true. Very true. We've got a couple more interesting guests today. One is a Senate candidate up in the great state of Vermont, which you don't typically hear about a lot. Her name is Christina Nolan. She's a former U.S. attorney there during the Trump years. She's running for that open Senate seat vacated by Patrick Leahy, who's been there since pretty much the foundation of our country i think mm-hmm. yeah uh and anyway that's that's something to keep an eye on you never know in red wave years when states like that get a little burr in their saddle and decide to go in a different direction so she's interesting 
Uh, we got her interview. Yeah, we, like Washington State's a perfect example. Like Smiley yeah. is like neck and neck. That, that, that You know, the red wave is coast to coast. Totally, totally. Yeah, Tiff- Tiffany, Smiley, Christina Nolan both have very difficult races, but they're the kind of candidates that you can sort of see if the wave is big enough. You wake up Wednesday morning, you're like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it surprises the hell out of people, yeah. right? I always say it. I'll say it again. We won a Senate race in Illinois in 2010. Yeah, let's go. That's exactly right. It I mean, so strange to hear it. Stranger it things have happened. Uh, we also have Kendall Qualls. is an interesting guy. You may have heard his name. He'd run for office. He ran for Congress before. He was in a gubernatorial primary earlier this year. But more importantly, he's doing a ton of really important work in the African American community, and he's trying to reshape the way that people sort of view politics within mm-hmm. the black community and. Listen, his own story speaks for itself. You'll have to hear it uh, on the interview we do with him. But really impressive, and I'm, I'm anxious to hear more about what he's up to. Yeah, we saw uh, just mentions of him online, like that. what his work is. I don't want to spoil it because it's absolutely brilliant. And we're like, man, we got to get him on. Yeah. Great no, message. Guy's great. He's great. Uh, and then we're going to have a lot of economy talk, fellas, a ton of economy. Because it's really it's sort of hard at this point to ignore the fact that yeah. we're at like, 40-year highs in inflation, the market's rocky, you've got now officially a recession on hand, yeah. whether the media wants to call it that or not, and like people are just sort of concerned, Yeah. right? I mean, so I mean, look at our, our, our good friends at Masterworks provided us a new code today because they're seeing the same thing we are, and they want to make sure that everybody, all of our listeners, all the ruthless people get in line first because... As they've said repeatedly. Yeah, they got a line. Yeah, as they've said repeatedly, when markets are down, inflation is becoming a problem, the actual investment in artwork tends to outpace everything else, right? And their whole model is they make money if you make money because they're buying artwork at a, a sort of aggregating all of their investors. They now have like 500,000 people that have signed up on this platform. Yeah. They aggregate the money, they go buy fine art, and they hold the fine art until they find a seller. And if they sell for a, a, a premium, then you reap part of the award, reward, right? I mean, it's just, it, I, I'm, I'm surprised no one thought of the idea earlier because it's just like so flawless. If you, if, if you think about it, like when's Lower the last time taxes. you heard about like, oh yeah, uh, Picasso sold for cheaper than, than I bought it. You know what I mean? Totally. So it's a great bet. And, but the whole thing is there was always the barrier to entry. It's like, well, I don't have like six point seven million dollars. And that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem with all rich guy stuff. Yes, right. Everything that like only is accessible by the soup. All the hacks that they've had to like keep it rolling, whether times are good or bad. That's what like it breaks it down. So like everyone can get a piece of the action. Like literally, it's just you you get a piece of the action. Yeah. So this is masterworks.com slash ruthless. Again, it's masterworks.com. Use the promo code ruthless and. Here's the thing with that. Typically, there's a big line yeah. to get involved, and they, and they require people to be interviewed. They want to make sure you're a real person that that is willing to invest, you know, a small part of of what they're overall buying. But this allows you to get in line first. It's worth doing. I've signed up for it. It's fun, if nothing else, than to just sort of like zip around because I don't know shit about fine art (laughs) but you can kind of look at and and look at what some of the valuations on these things and it's wild that you can be a part of it so i mean like look stocks are having a recalibration yes right now oh yeah that's a a kind way to put it as it turns out a recalibration i mean just look at like the tech sector they're just getting hammered absolutely hammered so you know i mean like if you have some money 
and you need to park it somewhere and the stock market's not looking so good, yeah. you know. It's worth taking a flyer on. If right. you got it, you know, because I don't think this is something that's that's like super risky. Fine art's around for a long time, right? That's the be- beauty of fine art is it's sort of ages. Well, and it's a tangible asset. And it's a tangible yeah. asset. So anyway, it's worth checking out. Again, that's masterworks.com. Use the promo code RUTHLESS. Uh, fellas, should we read some five stars? We haven't done this in a long we time. We haven't done Absolutely. this. Our, 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 our supporters deserve shout-outs. They do. And I, I noticed because when we stopped doing the regular cadence of five stars, I felt like we lost a little connection with some folks. Yeah, yeah. They deserve They deserve to be heard. Well, it's also, I think the five stars are a good, like, you know, soundboard. You know, it's like it's an opportunity for people to get in there. Yeah. Their licks on us, yeah, which, oh, I yeah. appre- which I always appreciate. I, like, yeah. like when I see, you know, hey, folks, you got to talk about monkey fighting more. I know. OK, <laughs> folks, we, 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 we got to focus. Give them more monkey, Give fight. more monkey fights. <laughs> we will never pass up a good monkey fight. Uh, Ashbrook, I think because of the dulcet tone that you set and the timbre <laughs> of your voice, it only makes sense that we reintroduce the five stars with you. OK, well, this first one comes from Nick Sherrod. It's called Inspiring Podcast. And it goes, I retired as a financial services exec to stay at home and be the best mother I can be. Through this podcast, I learned that being a great mom means staying informed on issues that will impact the next generation. The interviews you guys are conducting bring me hope for a better tomorrow. And because of this podcast, I registered to vote and cast my first ballot in the Illinois primary. Wow, wow look that's at that. awesome. Dude, that is a great review. The red wave isn't something that's happening. That's right. Yes. It's something we are doing. Bingo. Your collective likability reminds me that even though the liberal media throws stones daily at Republicans, that we are, in fact, the good guys. Mm -hmm. I feel a tremendous amount of gratitude for the gift of information and entertainment you guys bring me. In conclusion, the Dem or Journo jingle is precisely the right line. <laughs> <laughs> and I sing it in the shower all the time. Thanks, Nick. Nick. So, I mean, that's great. an amazing interview. And the thing is, the Dem or Journo inter- uh, jingle is long enough that you can take a shower at a time <laughs> <laughs> that it takes to finish. <laughs> and, and actually be clean yeah. in the process. Yeah. Uh, Dunks, we got one more. You want to read one? Okay. This title is Embarrassing. And this is from Owanzi. Okay, a onesie. You are all brilliant, and your podcast is sublime. Oh, thank you. Yeah, accurate. Regardless, <laughs> listening does engender some embarrassing, pity-infused side-eye from folks at the gym who wonder why this old guy finds doing curls so uncom- uncontrollably funny. Luckily, they don't know I tinkled a bit <laughs> when Katie dropped the D3 bomb. <laughs> Please have her back often. Thank you for your sane Overton window. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. All right. We got to get back into a regular cadence with those. I just, it feeds me energy. It's nice. Yeah. Um, All right. So what we have to lead with here, and and I understand if there's an awful lot of you that haven't gotten up to speed on it, because this is one of those process stories that happens in Washington, D.C. while your economy is going to absolute shit. The Washington Post, New York Times, AP, and all the cables are celebrating what appears to be a deal. Anytime you hear that, it's a bad thing. Right? 100%. Every time. But but Democrats have come to a deal on what amounts to basically tax hikes in a Green New Deal light. Right? We've been talking about all of this for a long time. Mm-hmm. It started as BBB. Mm-hmm. And that was successfully killed at the end of last year in large part because of Joe Manchin, who at the time told us he's not for tax increases, yeah. right? He said, I, we can't possibly raise taxes in the middle of an economic downturn or inflation like this. 
And there were some people who uh, unfortunately took him at his word, right, and thought this whole thing was done with. Well, unbeknownst to the Washington, D.C. public, or anybody for that matter, he had resumed talking with Schumer after they said it was cut out a long time ago and unveiled last week this new package that they have the balls, balls to suggest is targeted at reducing inflation. I mean, do you guys see this? The Inflation Reduction Act, yeah, they, they call it? they actually had the balls to name it it's that. It's so insane. <laughs> it's so funny because, like, that's their only crutch is they constantly, like, every study that's been done is, like, this This does, like, nothing to reduce inflation. But they're, like, the name of it is Inflation Reduction Act. It's the whole, like, Antifa thing. They're, like, listen, guys, their name is Antifa. <laughs> they're anti-fascism. They must be the good guys. They can't be violent. Yeah, they yeah. can't be. But, I mean, it's all ultimate Orwell stuff. Right. Right? I mean, incredible. They have stuff, the Green New Deal components of this. They have things like buying new mail trucks. Yeah. new. They're going to buy green mail trucks tell your average american struggling to buy groceries today who's got no wage increases inflation's going through the roof and they're actually trying to have to make hard decisions for their family that what their government ought to use their taxpayer dollars to to do is to buy different mail trucks i I think that's the thing is that if if you are dealing in an inflationary environment you are seeing your grocery bills double gas is super expensive and you get the you know horrific notification that Amazon has transferred your package to USPS. At least it'll be a green little truck that drops it. You know, two months late. <laughs> I mean, <that's> like, <laughs> but like their political barometer is so so bad. Oh yes, It's so bad. I mean, we've already seen this White House and this president set new records for unpopularity. But they actually believe, and the media is now hyping that this is the ticket to return in the midterms. Well, the barometer has gotten much worse over the last 10, 15 years. Do you guys remember, I know you will, Josh, remember when Obama said, you don't raise taxes in the middle of a recession. (laughs) I've got that audio here just in case people Oh, I'd like to hear that. You don't raise taxes in a recession. The last thing... I mean, uh uh-oh. Wait a minute. The prophet Obama has spoken, and they're no longer paying attention, evidently. He says, don't raise taxes in a recession. I mean, it just goes to show how far this this Democratic majority has slipped, right? Yeah. They, they now, there is zero economic acumen whatsoever. Their illiteracy economically is so profound that they genuinely believe that raising taxes and spending that money on Green New Deal things, I mean, there's like cow fart stuff in here. It's, and the thing is, it's so fundamentally, like completely separate from what actually causes inflation like the you know thankfully they haven't changed the definition of inflation yet when you have too much money supply you get inflation and and when the government spends money and the government is also printing that money that creates inflation right how does taxation play a role in any of this it does not spoiler alert it does not it doesn't play any role in any of this right so they are completely divorced from reality just trying to sneak in. This is just a backdoor Green New Deal, Build Back Brandon, all rolled up in one that they tricked Joe Manchin into vote. When is Joe Manchin in cycle, by the way? When is he in cycle? Next cycle. Next cycle? And I can't, I cannot wait. We got to find somebody. I am done with his shit. I cannot wait. He's got to go. He's got to go. The fact that we've been trying to peg hopes for the economic vitality of this country on a guy like that is just the worst situation there, uh, you can there's be in. a lot of talent in West Virginia. You know, there's a lot of good Republicans. We got to get rid of this guy. I don't want to deal with this kind of garbage of like, okay, where's where's Joe Manchin going to be on this? Is he going to like hold the line or not? 
I'm done with it, dude. So, I'm done with it because he got for him to sign on with this, which is also like it goes a back suic- on everything he said. It's yeah, it's a suicide pill for West Virginia. Totally. He is screwing. Like this is a love letter to China to buy their solar panels, so that like all the rich people in America can can put solar panels on their house and drive their Teslas that cost a hundred thousand dollars. So so Joe Manchin's constituents can get screwed. This is an insane bill. It's insane. It includes all kinds of bullshit. It includes, uh, as we talked about before, subsidies for Obamacare, for the insurance companies. I mean, it is it is absolute nonsense. But from a process perspective, this was sprung on everybody, mm-hmm. right? So now this week, what you'll hear in the Washington, D.C. debate is like, whether Kirsten Cinema's on board. Because remember... They're doing this on a what they call a reconciliation package. All that means, and all you care about, is the fact that it only requires 51 votes to pass, right? Instead of this traditional 60 that is needed for legislation in the Senate. Right. This, But to get 51, they need every single Democrat, which, as an aside, it is amazing to me that we've only had this conversation about two Democrats. Mm-hmm. We only talk about Kirsten Sinema or Joe Manchin. Mm-hmm. That means that you've got 48 other Democrats, five or six of whom are in tough races this year, uh, Yeah, that nobody even questioned whether or not they were on board with this. This bill it is was, inflationary, it and was they're, infla- they're with it. It was unveiled overnight. They yeah. didn't even need to see the text. Yep. It like Literally, they still don't know what's in it. Right. is still <laughs> scoring it. Parliamentarians are still trying to find out what's in it. Don't worry, Catherine Cortez Masto, she's on board. Right. Maggie Hassan, she's on board. Mark <laughs> Kelly, no problem. Raphael Warnock, absolutely. Like every one of these assholes, <laughs> you don't even have to ask the question. Right. AOC had barely finished typing the bill up on Instagram. <laughs> all of these people agreed to it. I mean, J- that, that's where we're at. So JCT actually did work over the weekend, and maybe they haven't finished scoring every last uh, aspect of this bill. And by the way, folks, JCT, Joint Committee on Taxation, this is a congressional scorekeeper for how much um, tax is going to hit in, in any particular bill. What they found over the weekend is that this particular bill, the Schumer Mansion proposal, will hit Americans in every income bracket with more than half of the tax increases on people making less than $400,000 a year. Oh, wait. Oh, no. oh, I, was wait. Pro- I was promised we'd never raise taxes Michael, on Michael, didn't people. they tell us that there, there was never- I was promised. Oh, do you think they broke their word? They might be liars. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible because after a year and a half, I didn't see any other evidence <laughs> of that. That's amazing. Well, so uh, also- as a point of background to all of this, I think it's sort of important to talk about that as well as like um, in the process here of Democrats going through this reconciliation gambit on this bill, Senate Republicans were, you know, were basically like, we, we are not going to help you advance any of this legislation if that's the, the route you're going to go down. Yeah. Right. And then they had the vote on the chips, chips the competitiveness bill with China. And everything, assuming that this deal was dead, that Build Back Better was dead. Well, that's what Manchin told them. Right. It's dead. And my question to you is like, you know, I looked at the Wall Street Journal opinion page on 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 Friday and the headline was the Senate GOP got played. Manchin is being Manchin, but Republicans helped him do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. So what I want to know about that? No. So look, I think it's a I think that's a valuable discussion. I think part of this is you saw McConnell and Senate Republicans come out and just try to throw every roadblock they could in front of ultimately what is this tax increase Green New Deal thing about two months ago. And they were saying, we're not going to do anything until that thing is dead. And part of that 
that got hung up was what you're talking about is it's chips bill, which was a largely bipartisan thing. Todd Young and others put together that it was about, you know, trying to compete with China. essentially. The semiconductor industry trying to onshore some of that stuff and make sure China doesn't have dominance in the chip market. Domestic manufacturing. At least that's the idea of it. Right. That's the idea. and, And that's what they were trying to do. It was a concept that was broadly supported. Now, the thing for a year and a half was weighed down by the fact that House Democrats tried to put all of these climate things into that bill and tried to make it not about chips, but make it basically about their right. domestic agenda. And so it got stuck and it never really moved. Now, when he said that, when they said they're not moving anything, they then stripped out all of those extraneous things and made it more specific to chips to make it politically more difficult. Now, still nothing happened on it for about a month until Manchin told everyone this process on reconciliation was dead right once it died then they move forward with chips and it's the, the day after they passed chips he's like no 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 actually we have a deal right so it's total deception right total deception now you can say they were complicit in that they were deceived right, right. which is an argument for sure right but ultimately they don't have the majority and This this is ultimately where the rubber meets the road. If you want to have something to do with reconciliation, you need to have a majority. Yeah. Because they can do this come hell or high water. Ultimately, the question is whether or not chips was something worth doing. There's different opinions on that. Right. But either way, it was never going to be anything other than a really weak piece of leverage. This is why I say burn it all down. Just any bill that rolls up, just vote no on. Because this is what these bastards do. Like, you can't trust any of the Democrats. That's just, every hill is the hill worth dying for. Don't vote for... Well, like, I'm coming around, I'm coming around to that after this. Yeah. Right? It's unreal. I, I also believe, pulled. I also believe that, look, in order to have a functioning administration, you require a fair amount of confirmations that the Senate must do to try to fill out your administration, right? This is everything from the secretaries of the cabinet all the way down to political appointees that are like head of ledge affairs, right? There's just a ton of stuff involved. Every judge, every FDA person, like all those people require some level of confirmation. If I'm sitting in a Senate Republican office, I'm saying there will not be a single person, not one. I don't care if there's if it's Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. That person is not getting in. They're not going to receive any confirmations from here on out. That's it. That's it, right? Because you can, I mean, the rest of the legislative calendar is pretty murky anyway. What's going to get done? I don't know. I mean, it's pretty tight window anyway. It seems to me like this is the entirety of the focus that Democrats are, are going to try to get done that has anything to do with their agenda, except for keeping the lights on in the Capitol, which at September 30th, they're going to have to figure that out too. The one thing you can do to make it more painful than anything else is to tell every one of those agencies, sorry, you're fucked. We're not getting your people, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's probably the best play for them from here on out. But I agree with you, Smug. Like at this point, they did all the stops. Yeah, that's it. They 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 really showed. They're like, okay, we want to play hardball. So there you go. It was also interesting in this is like it's sort of like a smash and grab, like from the Democrats. That is what it it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence if you're at the DSCC that you think you're going to keep your majority, Mm -hmm. right? Because you've basically burned any sort of goodwill with the Republican conference that you possibly could have had at this point. Like, I heard, like, Susan Collins, like, she's irate about this. Piss. You know what I mean? And it's like, if if Susan Collins is mad, 
Yeah. You're going to have a lot is, of issues. This is a dem smash and grab. That's right. what it is. They see the red wave. It's like the police sirens are on and yeah. they're like, okay, grab the last yeah. bit of jewelry left in this place <laughs> and let's bounce. That is basically what's happening. Right. Right. But they also have, I mean, this is a tricky process. And there's a reason why this, this process is not used all of the time. It requires passing a budget, which they did, and they've been sitting on now for a year to try to get something done. But the actual way to approve this legislation is what they call a votorama, which requires anyone in the chamber who wants an amendment, Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what that amendment is, as long as it's germane to what the bill is. And in this point, the scope is magnificent. It's taxes, it's energy, it's healthcare. It's (laughs) fucking half our economy. It's like half, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is just a huge thing. So, like the other thing I would say, in addition to shutting down all the nominees, Make this the most painful possible exercise yes. that you can come up with because they need all 50. Yep. They need all 50 to vote yes. And so does that mean that Catherine Cortez Masto has to vote You know, to open the border? Yes. Sure it does. Yes. Sure it does. And she and she that's basically what she's voted for all throughout her career. So now she 100 days before dude, the election, dude, I love might this. as well codify it. I, right? I, I love this energy. Now is t- it's the season of pain. Yeah. Now you make them feel it. You make all these all these uh, uh, Democrats who are up for election November vote on all the crazy shit here. Make them vote for all of it. Hold them to account because it, th- their jobs are on the line and they're going to lose it. When the American people are like, how the hell did you pass? How the hell did you vote for this? How? How? So it's important to not misplace anger here. You can be frustrated with everything. But the bottom line is right now, currently... There is a massive disconnect between the unpopularity of Joe Biden, the unpopularity of what's happening in this country, and the candidates and and senators and congressmen who are actually carrying this shit out, right? For whatever reason, people have not completely transferred the culpability Mm. that all of these people have into what's happening in this country. So, like, if you're going to focus your anger, focus on the fact that nobody even asked any one of these Senate candidates that we just talked about whether they support it. It's already assumed. But here's the right? thing: is can we assume all Republicans will hold the line on this? Like, I don't want 100. I don't want Romney to trot out and be like, you know what? I just, you know, there's we should be more civil here. Listen, I understand why you're asking the question. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, but this is we're talking about the distinct difference between the two parties represented in one piece of legislation. Like, you cannot support something like this and be a Republican. I don't care. And I'm the last guy that wants to go in and censure people from, like, I think that... No, I'm for it. I know you are. (laughs) I I always think that that's, like, a useless exercise. No, you got to punish them. I'm I'm fine with primaries, by the way. I'm growing on that. But, But what I have a huge problem with is trying to conflate culpability for who's doing this to you. These people are doing this to you. Mm. They are saying with a straight face... I'm going to raise your taxes in the middle of a recession at the highest point of inflation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it 100 days before an election, and I am convinced it's a win. Mm. Yeah, I <laughs> feel that. In fact, I'm going to cut ads and send you direct mail telling you how great I am. Tell how great I am. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. It's so cool. That's the thing. It's, 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 it, this is an instance where it really is like the cruelty is the point because the cruelest tax increase on working class Americans is inflation. Yeah. It hurts them. It's the most regressive form of taxes that has ever existed. Inflation. Well, this is, I'm glad you brought this up because Bloomberg has this piece that says Inflation Reduction Act 
has little inflation help, oh, UPenn shit. study says. Who would have guessed? The Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, the breakthrough U.S. legislative deal on key parts of the President Biden's agenda, likely won't reduce inflation at all, according to the study. Oh, oh who would have guessed? Well, no kidding. I mean, you take a couple of billion dollars, you start buying mail trucks and shit like that. Like, <laughs> oh, you mean that doesn't, that's Wait, not going to make... <laughs> mail trucks don't bring down inflation? What? What? <laughs> Krugman promised us this would work. I can't, a catalytic <laughs> converter for my my cow's ass isn't going to bring down the price of groceries. You know, one of the other interesting uh, aspects of the fact that it's UPenn with this study yeah. is that Joe Manchin for the last nine months has said, wait a minute, I'm not supporting anything that UPenn can't be for, that UPenn yeah. doesn't sign off on. And here UPenn is saying this doesn't do anything about inflation. In fact, if you look at the last paragraph, it talks about how it might make it worse. I bet he doesn't change his mind. The oh, dude, of course he doesn't change he his mind. So no, he's just a liar. Himself. He's dude, a liar. He is so full of himself. Did you, he's, he's a liar. He, he thinks he's untouchable. He's dude. a liar. Well, because because the press won't lay a glove on him in West Virginia. Did you ever see the photo of him? It's a side by side of him standing with these kids that with a sign that says "We are pro life," and the other the other picture right next to it is a sign with kids saying "We are pro choice." Dude, that and is him. And he's smiling and thumbs up with both of dude, them. Dude, that is him. That's him. That's <laughs> that, him is nutshell, like, dude. that is such a perfect visual image. Thump, smiling, thumbs up in both images. Both pro-life, pro-choice. Exactly. Amazing. It's not Photoshop. It's Joe Manchin. Two sides of his mouth. That's just the way the guy is. I can't believe... I mean, I thought we'd long past the point in politics where somebody just could, like, bullshit through everything. But that guy's that guy has done it. Yeah. He's done it. And the fact is he's at the center of the legislative efforts to try to make this country a worse place. And yeah. he's lied through his teeth about everything from process to the actual tax increases to the co- to the, the effect on inflation. I mean, there's nothing about it that he hasn't just straight-faced lied about. What, what did he get? I, I didn't see anything in here that says all of a sudden coal jobs are coming back. Nope. So what did he deliver for West Virginia? No, this, is, this is Joe Manchin spitting in their faces, being like, okay, here's the deal. You get nothing. And everyone in, in L.A., New York, and Beverly Hills, they're going to get their little solar panels that you pay for, you pay for, so they can drive their Teslas around and feel better about themselves. That's the deal. There's there's a lot of Republican talent in West Virginia. We got Mooney out there. We got Riley Moore out there. Joe Manchin's got to go, man. He's got to go. Enough is enough. And also, know? let's just folk, let's try to recruit a good candidate, and let's just support that candidate. Bingo. I'm so tired of going into these races where we've got a good chance to win and we have to fight a fucking bare-knuckle bloody war amongst each other. But I love primaries. I mean, I like them. I, don't get me wrong. I love I them. like them. I know I kind of... be like so. The, but, but look, in West Virginia, we need a clear alternative now. No, I know. Three years out. And yeah. West Virginia we is ruby red. We do not need a Dem out there who's going to try to be like, oh, I love how the press makes me feel important. This guy's head can't even fit through a door. Like, he is so high on his own supply of like everyone's waiting to hear joe manchin's take everyone's waiting for what joe manchin's got to say well it's time to like get rid of him he should have no say and by the way by the way he lives in a yacht in the fucking harbor of washington (laughs) dc well i mean i think that might be why he doesn't care about west virginia (laughs) when you're in a yacht in dc you're not very concerned about shit (laughs) god but meanwhile meanwhile this is from the wall street journal dollar store diners and vats of shampoo help families cope with high prices with energy. Energy. Yeah. I just said energy and grocery prices rising. Many are cutting their spending on essentials. Listen to this. More Americans are embracing frugality as they face rising prices at every turn. With energy costs up 41.6% in 
and groceries up 12.2%, more expensive than they were last year, according to June's Consumer Price Index. Many families are saying that skipping vacations and restaurant meals is no longer enough. Yeah. They're now finding a way to cut costs on essentials. So that's that's the perfect framework for this discussion. Mm-hmm. They are talking about remaking the American economy with solar panels and with shit that you get from China, moving away from domestic production of energy, oil and gas, at a time when many of these people make their living in that industry. Mm-hmm. But even beyond that, they can't afford regular household goods. Why the hell are... How is it that we've not talked about this? So it became, Wait, wait, wait. You're saying that they... Why don't they just buy a Tesla? If yeah. they buy a Tesla, <laughs> they'll save on gas, That's and the then thing. maybe they can afford household goods. It makes a lot of sense. That's right. Because they have the magical plug-in that doesn't actually connect to the electrical it, grid, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Of course it's not... You know, the electricity is not coming from coal plants. No, for sure not. You know, well, and now it's going to get... Tooth fairy. Now it's going to get more expensive because of the bill that Joe Manchin supports now. They're going to tax all that coal in West Virginia. Yeah. So you think, I mean, you, that electric car that you plug into the wall is going to get even more expensive. It's it, it's really horrific and heartbreaking. And, I, you know, for me personally, I saw the tea leaves of the way this administration was was behaving very early on of how they, had, they were, like, locked on, laser-focused on crippling American energy independence. They completely threw any caution to the wind when it came to inflation. And, and, and Republicans, everyone was warning them last year, you know, when they were trying to be like, oh, actually, your 4th of July meal cost five cents less. You know, when they're lying through their teeth, trying to first tell you, oh, it's, the inflation doesn't exist, it's transitory. Now, now we're seeing headlines of Dollar General is where uh, Americans are increasingly having to buy dinner for their family. I mean, how it, it happened very quickly. It, it was ha- a, it was stunning. You didn't nope. you didn't hear these, and it was avoidable. Nope. Nancy Pelosi has never been to a Dollar General in her life. She has never bought anything at Dollar General. Nobody in her entire conference well, has done any. It, like these people are so out of touch, so out of touch. They deserve to be replaced, and they should be replaced by people who actually live life in America. W- one way that I bet you know, one thing that me and Nancy Pelosi probably have in common is we've picked up. Dollar General stock. Oh, it's up twenty percent over the past six months, <laughs> well, and there's probably, a reason for yeah. it. Is because this administration has no idea how the economy works, doesn't care about the pain that they're causing Americans. So, you, so you're going to see, you know, when you hear these stories about like Target is sitting on a ton of uh, inventory, like we've discussed many times. Where, where, where are people shopping? They're going to Dollar General because their pocketbooks are books are hurting at that level, and they're starting to they're they're starting to stock produce mm-hmm. at Dollar General. They're not a grocery store, but they're starting to do that because their customer base can't afford to shop at a lot of the the neighboring grocery stores. I mean, it's the saddest thing you've dude, ever heard, dude. To make things listen to this, the the elites in Washington and New York look down on the rest of America so much. Do you know the last time CNN wrote about Dollar General? Do you know what their story was? Let me read you their headline. Dollar stores are everywhere, and that's a problem for the poor. Oh, my God. I mean, Imagine I just, writing that. These people are so out of touch. I just, I, it, So it, here's the thing. Let's bring this full circle. So there's a bunch of polls out. Majority say, uh, of voters say Biden is not unifying, not effective, not focused, and not competent. Oh, no. Yeah, so so that we know, and these polls have been omnipresent. Every week, there's a new one. Here's my problem: for some reason, those the, when you have that opinion of Joe Biden, it doesn't completely translate. There isn't a dime worth of fucking difference mm-hmm. 
between Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, AOC, or any single member of Congress with a D in front of their name. It's lost. It, the takeover's been complete. They're all fucking left-wing lunatics. They are the exact same. And the evidence of that is right before us. Mm-hmm. They need every single Democrat in Washington to vote for a piece of shit that will tax you. Mm-hmm. And now we're not talking, they'll talk a lot about the rich, but the JCT scores right in front of us, it's taxing you. Yep. You as an individual listening to this, your taxes are going up and the people who are doing it is not Joe Biden. It's not Nancy Pelosi by herself. It's not even Chuck Schumer by himself. Mm-hmm. It is the rank and file Democrats 50 who put on their fucking hard hat and decide that they're going to fuck you every single day of the year. And they're going to do it right in front of the election. And they're going to do it with a smile on their face. And they're going to try to spend four or five times what a Republican spends convincing you it was a good idea to get and, fucked. And, and number one, they're going to lie and say you're not getting taxed when you are getting taxed. And number two, then they're going to spike the football and send you a mailer and being like, Congrats! Look what I I've screwed done. you. Look what I've done. And and like th- this WSJ article, it's it's an incredible read. Just the statistics. They say with energy costs up forty one point six percent and groceries twelve point two percent more expensive than they were last year. This is just over like, one year, according to June's CPI. Many families say that skipping vacations and restaurant meals is no longer enough. We're mm. cutting at the bone, and they're passing a massive bag of spending. It's just unbelievable. I'll tell you one, we've done a lot of work on this program talking with folks who are representing the Hispanic community and running for Congress this year. Um, That is an unmistakable trend. That is an unmistakable Mm -hmm. trend. A new CBS poll shows that this a statistical tie amongst Hispanics in 2022 generic ballot, meaning you run a generic Republican and a generic Democrat, and they're statistically tied. It's 45-42 currently. What makes that so noteworthy is that Democrats won Hispanics by 40 points in 2018. 40. The last midterm we had in this country, they won by 40. That is a seismic change. I'm telling you, that community is totally plugged in here. We got to make sure everybody else is too. Listen, man, I think as soon as they find out that Democrats are um, buying a lot of green mail trucks, it's it, it's all going to change. <sighs> You think so? I think that's going to be the ticket, huh? Well, they clearly do. They clearly do. <laughs> Just remember, nobody's asked whether they're going to vote for it or not. They asked Kirsten Sinema, mm-hmm. and they and they asked Joe Manchin. None of the other 400 fucking people in this town did they even ask whether they would vote for it. So that's because they assume Maggie Hassan is for tax hikes. Yeah. That's because they assume Masto is for tax hikes and Kelly and Warnock. I mean, every all, single one. All of them don't even get the. They don't even get an inquiry about whether they support it because it's just already assumed. Amazing, incredible. Um, all right, so I want to go to this first interview. This is Kendall Qualls. I think just a really fascinating guy. Have a listen. I want to welcome to the program a really interesting guy. Uh, he's the president of Take Charge, but you know what? I, honestly, he's got a resume ten miles long, and I don't even know where to start because it's so terrific. But he's been in uh, involved in a bunch of new projects that are really interesting to us here on the program, and I think interesting to all of you. Kendall Qualls, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Josh. Glad to be here. So, look. I think we would be remiss if we didn't start with your story, because your story in and of itself, I think, helps sort of illuminate everything that you've been working on in recent years and why it's so important to our audience. I mean, you essentially grew up in the projects in New York, at some point moved to Oklahoma. Just give me a a thumbnail of of your growing up. 
Yeah, just a real short bio. So my, my, when my dad came back from Vietnam, my, my parents divorced. And I lived um, part of my childhood from fifth grade in Harlem, New York, in the, in the height of the worst time in Harlem. It was the late 60s, early 70s. And uh, it was tough. My mom had five of us. Uh, some, and she couldn't just do it on her own with five kids. I was on the younger side. My father came and got me and my younger brother. And because he was paying alimony and child support, all he could afford was a trailer in a trailer park. So that's that's my start in life. I tell people I've been called ghetto kid, trailer trash, and a lot worse. It's quite a journey as a, as a young child, too. I mean, you're talking projects exactly. to trailer parks. That's a transition not a lot of people make. Well, here's the other part of it, too. I tell people this. You know what? What I found in this country, it doesn't matter where you start in life because that's not where you have to stay in life. And through the course of my path um, and raising my children and what I started hearing here in Minneapolis, I felt, hey, I need to get involved. This is a false narrative. Yeah, you know, 100%. So you, so you, at some point, you became an officer in the Army as well. That's right. I paid my way through college, went on active duty. I was a field, art- field artillery officer for five years, served here stateside and as well as South Korea around the DMZ. And after five years, I uh, started my civilian career. So, um, and, and to your point about ensuring that you, you don't stay where you're born, boy, oh boy, did you have a, a career in that. You started climbing the corporate ladder basically all the way up. Uh, yeah. cha- change yeah. change your life and your family's life uh, unbelievably. Well, you know, it, it, was, it was interesting. My family, my extended family, got a chance to see a life they've never seen before through our family. Well, we were with a window to this whole civilian white corporate world. And guess what? The, the, the capitalist system works. Um, I started getting true equity, you know, stock options and stock, not this fake equity that they're pushing now. Um, and because it was based on merit, I had to compete for jobs. And I uh, wind up my career after 25 years with in major healthcare companies, um, ending up as the global vice president for one of the main comp- company, Fortune 100 company. Then after that, I helped start a startup company for cancer patients. Hmm. I, it's it's amazing, and it's somewhere along the way, you never lose sight of where you came from and what's important. You decide you want to get involved. You want to give back. Yeah, we did that entire our entire life. So my wife and I were both Christians, and you know, by, by the way, we I got married um, very early. I was twenty two years old when I got married. My wife and I have been together for thirty seven years. We have five kids. I tell people I adopted one of them. I can't remember which one because we love them all the same. <laughs> but we 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 lived our faith and we lived what we believed. And this narrative, again, started four, four years ago or so. Um, it was dangerous for our country. And that's why I started getting involved. I ran for Congress um, in the western suburbs of the Twin Cities. It was historically a long-held Republican seat. We lost it when President Trump won. I tried to retake it, unfortunately I wasn't successful. But in the western suburbs of the Twin Cities, the most affluent district in the state, I actually had more votes than President Trump and the senatorial candidate at the time. Hmm. So I outbid, you know, basically I outjumped the top of the ticket for a first time candidate. And a lot of my supporters wanted me to stick around and that's why we started Take Charge with with our mission statement. So tell us about Take Charge. Yeah, but basically it's the idea that the uh, American dream works for anyone, regardless of race, regardless of social standing in life. 
And so I just said, look, I'm going to go into the Twin Cities and the black community of the Twin Cities because I'm tired of politicians using the black community. And all I did was this. I didn't talk about politics. I just said, look, God did not intend for women to raise children alone. And as a fact, we didn't used to live like this as a community. When I was five years old, basically the black community was 80% two-parent families. Hmm. And in my lifetime, we've gone from 80% two-parent families into most major inner cities, they're 80% fatherless homes. Man. And there's, there's never been one attempt to reverse the trend. They've been used. And so our, our point was to take away the racial disparity argument that the left always uses to justify their agenda. And in fact, it's so ironic is because their agenda caused the problem. Yeah. And and the essence of this was that we need to go on the offense. The American message works. And unfortunately, the our conservative party, the Republican Party, we have a hard time of of, of conveying that message. That's right. That the American system works. That's right. Well, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. It seems like the through line is what you just put your your finger on, which is everything it seems like it, within your work is this emphasis on family and the emphasis on taking care of each other. And which is, you know, to your point, sort of what the left conveniently neglects throughout every single policy they have to try to help underprivileged homes. Well, here's the scenario. Again, what, what they're trying to build is a, a dependent populace mm. so they can be in permanent power. So in St. Paul, the mayor, just he just passed this. Uh, they just they're going through the second phase of this program of this guaranteed income. Right. And so this is like the this, universal basic income yes. that was pushed by Yang and the presidential level worked its way through progressive circles. And now you see sort of leftist mayors at a local level trying to implement it. That's exactly right. And, and also from when you couple that with we're going to pay off your student loans, basically what they're telling American people, especially young people, is that you can't do it on your own, that the American dream was a lie and it was only intended for certain people. And so we need, you need help from us, which is dangerous. It, it, it is absolutely dangerous. And it's the way for permanent power, which they've done in the black community in the major cities all over the country to, their, to our demise. What's so amazing is, I mean, talk about the belly of the beast in Minneapolis, right? I mean, this is an area, I, I, you know, I don't think that, that before the George Floyd uh, murder. I don't. I don't think that everyone knew basically how uh, progressive Minneapolis had become, particularly as it relates to racial inequities and everything else. I mean, their their vision for this has been a long time coming. I'm sure you've been a, been well aware of what's happening in Minneapolis. Well, you know what's interesting. I, I'm not a native of Minnesota. I, I call it my adopted home state. We love it there. We loved it there. What it, what it's turned into is a mini Chicago, Detroit, right? which was, it was never one of any of those. In fact, Forbes magazine in 2009 rated it the number one and safest, cleanest city in the country. <laughs> and now, now it's, it's completely gone. And what, what the progressives, to your point, it is this notion that you can't do it on your own. You need us. Right. Right. And so so tell me about uh, where I first got turned on to, to your work is this documentary that you've put together. I'm a victor. Tell us about this, because I think this is just terrific work. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of organizations doing terrific work out there, and, and, and but what we what we what we're doing differently is that I'm recruiting people from the black community. These are regular voices, right? Regular people with you know difficult backgrounds, and they're saying the exact thing that I'm saying, but but in their own words. And what they what we have is a different narrative coming out of the Twin Cities. You know, oftentimes we hear one voice from the black community that the media wants us to hear. And it comes from a from a white guy who's like twenty eight years old. More times than not, too. By the way, that's right. <laughs> well, you should you should see who was guarding um, George Floyd Square. I mean, Square. It was, but white. Oftentimes, um, gay women. Very few black people. And it, I mean, it's, it's it's a different narrative. But but my my point is, is that there's a huge voice in the black community that the public never hears. Mm. And I'll give you an example, Josh. The uh, defund the police initiative that was in the ballot. Black Americans voted overwhelmingly against it versus the liberal white areas of the Twin Cities. That's right. That's right. Defund the police is just a classic example of a white coastal progressive idea where the actual impact and the negative impact that comes from something like coastal or, or that comes from something like defund the police is never felt by these people who have this idea. Right. And we, what you're exactly. saying is to the point is if you actually ask black voices in these communities, what it is that you think that's the furthest thing from what they want. Furthest thing from what they want. And, and once you start hearing from these people, they sound more like Republicans, <laughs> Donald Trump Republicans. <laughs> Which will shock the hell out of the Democratic Party, I might add. This is, this is if ever there is a population taken for granted by the National Democratic Party, it is black America. Well, and, and the other part of it is that, that we've been sold a bill of goods, and oftentimes, sadly, by leaders in our own community. Hmm. You know, the demise of the community has been happening on their watch. Hmm. And because they've been getting favors and they've got careers and financial um incentives is really undermine the community that they're supposed to serve <laughs> and i say that boldly and i say that without um apology if you're a leader it's your job to ensure that the organization that you're responsible for is improving whether it's a for-profit or non-profit and it's been declining for 50 years that's, that's exactly right. The cities themselves have been declining for 50 years. And at some point, you'd think there would have to be some kind of accountability. But what's what's interesting and new about, about what you're doing, Kendall, and then a lot of efforts around this country, is that there's a real awakening that's happening, that these progressive policies are not serving these communities very well. And the thought leaders, quote unquote, in their communities that have subscribed exclusively to this progressive agenda is just not working. Well, not, not only is it not working, what's the what's the evil part about this, Josh, is that when, when they're held accountable for it, they blame white suburban America hmm. for their, so here's the accountability part, it's their problem, it's their fault. Look, I, I, I remember as a kid, going back to Ronald Reagan, they've called every Republican president of racist. Mm-hmm as a part of it, that narrative. I mean, I've been around long enough to see that it is, it is a repeat button, repeat issue. And again, it's a way to sca- scapegoat. It's a way not to be held accountable. 
And, and it's a way to bring up emotions that are so raw that people make decisions based on emotions, not on actually on intellect. And, and so I, I thought, well, take charge. We're going we're gonna to have a different narrative. We're going to pre- present facts. And based on my life and the lives of many people, millions of people, we're going to tap into and show a, di- a very different story. Oh, well, you've certainly done that, and I encourage people to go to the website and check out some of the work that you all have done. As as you said, I think the most impressive part is that you're going and talking to regular people and getting their perspective, which is, you know, look, if we're going to change the way that inner cities operate and the representation of underprivileged people across this country, we're going to have to start asking the hard questions, which is what you're doing and you're documenting here. Right. Right. And, and the other part is and the biggest part is just holding our schools accountable. Right. You know, these these public schools in every major city, they've been producing semi literate populace for the last 20 to 30 years. It's wild. Right. And then and then but school choice is certainly out of the question for these folks. Right. I mean, that that is what that is what burns me up so much is that there are progressives who sort of wring their hands and complain about the quality of the schools, but then they absolutely empower the same school boards and the same curriculum and the same teachers and the same rules that have led us to 50, 60 years of underperformance. Exactly right. So so we're about empowerment, Josh. Um, I tell you that the tagline for Take Charge is take charge of your life, your family, your community. You know, the founders felt and the reason why this whole country exists, the founders felt that we didn't need a king to over, over, overrule us, to, 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 to be an overlord for us. We can rule our own lives. You know, we can be a self-governing country. Well, to be a self-governing country, you need to have virtue and you need to have an educated populace. And I think the left has been undermining both of those uh, those areas as far as where it relates to, you know, free, not, not just free speech, but you know, the free exercise of faith, your religious faith. The other one is education. The public school education that I received in the inner city and in the trailer park in Oklahoma allowed me a foundational start to what I, what I achieved in my life. Mm-hmm. And these kids are being robbed of that. No, no kidding. So, look, to state the obvious, Kendall, you're, you're a dangerous person to the progressive left, right? You're, you are a guy who's lived that life who has improved your family's lot in life immeasurably, but more importantly, has reached back and tried to help others throughout your life and is now documenting the change that you think needs to happen here. I got to imagine you're the target A1A of an awful lot of progressive activists out there. Yeah, the, I get a lot of that dismissal and, and, and rejection and all that. But, I understand. but listen, at the end of the day, we're Americans. American <laughs> courage runs through our blood. It's, we've been dormant for so long, we forgot how to activate it. <laughs> I love that. It's so, so true. I'm going around and helping remind people, remember who you are. You're an American. Start acting like it. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, it, it, the message is incredibly compelling. How have you found the reception? And I, obviously the proof is in the pudding and some of the things that you have put up at, at Take Charge and your documentary, I Am a Victor. Um, are you making progress? You know, I tell you, we, we get calls every, um, probably every week, calls and emails. Hey, do you have a Take Charge chapter in Houston? Do you have one in Philadelphia? Do you have one in LA? And uh, you know what, we're, we we plan on branching out, but so to answer your question is yes. 
in fact, when you, if people go to our website at takechargemn.com, we have the largest probably video profile, video library of black Americans that denounce Black Lives Matter, denounce critical race theory, speak positively about the country, and call for a need to get back to basics of faith, family, and education. You know, it's it's kind of like Prager US, if you will. I, I, I did not intend it to be that way, but it just happened or- organically. Well, you know, it's funny you're seeing you're seeing that happen all across this country too, and and that's why the work that you're doing is is so important. I mean, we've had on the program in the last couple of months an inordinate number of Hispanic women in the South uh, Texas border, and then basically across this country, say, "Look, I, I was born and raised with this entire mentality that the Democratic Party is the only one that represents me, and the Republican Party is sort of a aloof, out of touch for for rich white people." And then you start looking at things like defund the police, things like open border policies, things like crime policies, and then just sort of ignorance of the economy and inflation and the impact that that has on these communities. And they've said that there's just an awakening and they just feel it. It's just a momentum that that has basically changed the electorate in these districts that these women are running in. Do you think we can get there with the black community in the near future? Well, absolutely. Um, so again, we're a 501c3 non-political, but um, you know, it was interesting. I have, I have a friend of mine that asked me, he said, you know, they were looking at the, uh, the outcome of the vote um, in 2020. And he said, I was surprised to see that 19% of black men voted for Trump. Hmm. I said, it probably would have been higher if it wasn't a lot of the 24 seven hate Trump shenanigans in the media. Right. Um, it was all about the economy. And, and, and here's the issue, Josh, because you bring it up with the Hispanic and the Latin American community. You know, it's, a, it's centered around family. That's right. It's centered around family. They're centered around family in a big way. We've lost that in the black community. It's, it's been totally undermined. However, we can get there because I, you, we got a lot of women and, and mothers and grandmothers, particularly. You're not supposed to live your life alone. Mm-hmm. Having the government assistance to cover the basics is not is not a fullness of life. That's right. You know, we, we're meant to be in companionship and all that, and that's those are the things we talk about. So, uh, for for our listeners who want to get involved with what you're doing, where do they go? Sure, they go to takechargemn.com, takechargemikenovember.com. That's that's terrific. I have three big questions for you. These are the ones we ask everybody here, Kendall. So this is this is big stuff. Your work is just so important, but I I have to get to this because I, I think this is like you know we can get a window into who you are here. Uh, if you can plan your last meal on Earth, what would it be? If I can plan my last meal, what would it be? Yeah. I'm sorry because it, it broke up a bit. Yep. No, that's that's the question. If if you can plan your last meal on Earth, what would it be? Oh, gee whiz, that's easy. Ribeye steak, sautéed <laughs> spinach, baked potato. Listen, you may not have started out a Midwesterner, but you sure you sure won now. That is a Midwestern order right there. I love it. Pretty much indistinguishable from my own in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. So here's here's question number two. And this is a little different. Usually I ask a politician, you know, if they never got into politics or they never got into uh, public service at all, what they, what would they do with their life if they just had this blue sky opening? But because you've been in, involved in so many things and politics is sort of like in passing, 
Um, let's just say you got a 10-year period in your life that's a blue sky that you can do anything with that you haven't done. What would that be? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, that's that's terrific. Here's what people just don't understand. If I could, it would. I would start a business that would be, that would be pro-American manufacturing jobs and those type of jobs in the United States because that is the best social program you can have in the world is a job. Yeah. That provides for your family, and people begin to see the what real equity stands for, the, the, the profit sharing, and all that. Um, we the more we have of that, the less we need a government. So, <laughs> <laughs> no be kidding, no kidding. Sector driven economy. Okay. And, and if I can help that in a big way, I would love to have done that. Kendall, you don't think the woke rhetoric is getting it done? You don't think that's that's uh, making the change in the business community that we needed? <laughs> No, you know what? The woke community, I can tell you, 10 years from now, it'll be the best comedy. It will. Because, you know, we're, we're going to get past this, but, but we're going to be reminded of this. Of some great late night comedians and, and on the road show comedians, people, what we what we went through and how they thought this was really serious. I mean, seriously, I got to imagine from your perspective, living the life that you have, when you see some of this stuff, I mean, you, you have no choice but to burst into laughter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> man all right so here's the third question you got to follow me on this one because it's a little esoteric but our view is that every successful person in life is motivated by one of two things either the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat and it's not that anybody doesn't like winning or loves losing like of course that's not the case it's what motivates you right and so the thrill of victory person is always the consummate optimist charging up the hill believing they can get to the next endeavor the agony of defeat person, every victory they've had in life, their enjoyment of it lasts like two seconds. But every setback that they've ever had in life, that's what sticks with them, right? And they vow never to repeat it. And that's what provides them the motivation to achieve. So Kendall Qualls, where do you find yourself on that spectrum? I'm an agony of defeat guy. I hate <laughs> losing more than I like winning. Yeah. Yeah. You and, struck uh, me as that. I, I was in the governor's race. We was a six, actually a seven person governor's race here in Minnesota. I lost it by hair. In fact, I could have won it, but I, I chose not to have this particular person as my lieutenant governor. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, I don't believe in winning at any cost. And um, boy, that, that one, that one hurt. But, you know, I moved on and we're, it's fine. I think we're better off for it. Well, that's, uh, listen, the, the agony of defeat person, you strike me as, as somebody who's constantly motivated and you find those little things, those little slights to help you along the way. And as you're doing that, you're helping a hell of a lot of other people, Kendall. This is uh, this has been terrific work that you're doing at Take Charge. I hope you keep it up. I hope we can do everything from our uh, listeners and, and, and uh, program listeners to make sure that we're helping you along the way. Well, thank you, Josh. You know, I didn't know much about him before he came on here, and I got to say, very interesting guy. I want to talk more with him, honestly, because I, I think there's we hit the tip of the iceberg on the work that he's doing actually in African-American communities, and the work that he's doing is just incredibly important. And he's lived a life that's just the prototypical American dream. You grow up in the projects in the Bronx, you move to a trailer park in Oklahoma, and then all of a sudden you're an executive at a major healthcare company and all along the way he's like i can't i can't not remember where i came from Mm -hmm. and he just keeps working on it now he's dedicated his life to it which is just so impressive it's it's a positive message and i love i love having that on the show totally totally um 
All right, so this next story, Smug, this is going to be near and dear to your heart. Absolutely. Uh, there's a study, and this is like where McDaniel finds his like, yeah. bizarre. <laughs> study finds, study finds, uh, want a higher salary? Be more proactive on Twitter, the study suggests. A new study reveals that executives who self-promote regularly on Twitter are more likely to receive higher job offers and high salaries than those who don't promote their brand online. So, uh, I, this is terrible advice. <laughs> Number one. <laughs> I mean, like, somehow, somehow, I, I, I've been a survivor of, like, the killing fields of Twitter over the past, like, almost, like, 15 years at this point. And, like, the thing is, is that, like, in theory, maybe this, you know, if you, if you think of it as, like, a self-promotion kind of thing. Um, that's we, not why you it, use it. That's not it. We have to be honest. Twitter is like, you know, it's like you get dropped in the middle of the jungle. It's like Nam. You get airdropped <laughs> into this jungle. You got to find your tribe. You know, are you going to be a conservative? Are you going to be a liberal? And you go to war. And if you don't find your tribe, you're just out there getting killed. Like, that's how Twitter <laughs> works. It's not a place for, like, good conversations or, like, trying to, like, oh, hey, you know, I'm a good executive or, like, try to, like, fluff your brand or whatever. It's combat. That's all Twitter is at this point. And the, the the thing is, is that like, it also is just like a record. It's an oppo research record. It's like, here's, here's a history of all of my opinions that are easily searched, you know? So like, if you are hiring at X corporation, you're probably woke as hell. And I've been like, let's go, Brandon. Uh-oh, there goes the job <laughs> offer, you know? So terrible advice. Twitter is for combat folks. You know, get, it, get, get a fake name on there. Don't use your real name. Get on there, own the libs. You know, drop wonderful memes. Be absolutely horrific to liberal people on there. But <laughs> I don't know about like it's a helpful like tool for your career because it really is not. It's like it's like uh, you know uh, was it helpful to anyone's career to go on like a killing spree because that's all it is. You have to be just like a mindless absolute monster to thrive on Twitter. It's it's the worst. Like so many people have told me, they're like, I don't know how you do it. Like day in and day, and I'm like, I don't like. I I really try to limit. My use of Twitter, like I'll, I might come up with a hot take, you know, during lunch, I'll drop that and I just try to leave because, like, <laughs> the longer you're there, you know, it's like you get shell shocked. Like you're out in the jungle. Eventually, you're like, you know, you have to first accept you're already dead. Like that kind of a mindset takes over. Highly, highly discouraged people use Twitter for the. But you career. were kind of the first one with the buck knife in the teeth on Twitter. To well, be honest th with you, that's the thing. So, so I've got that going for me. Like, I guess it's like the Colonel Kurtz kind of thing of we're like, okay, the jungle took over. I've got nothing left to lose. But for the vast majority of folks, you know, if you're a normal, well-adjusted human, Get off I highly that. recommend don't try to advance your career using Twitter. <laughs> it's for combat only. There are a lot of journos on Twitter. They seem to use it all the time and, and read it all the time. And that's why all their brains are melted. That's why they're absolutely horrific people. Well, it also becomes what I've found, at least with journalists, is during the Trump era, they built a following that was mm -hmm. entirely consistent with left-wing progressives complaining about Trump, right? Mm -hmm. Because every one of their stories was some shit about Trump. Like, Trump did this, Trump did that, whatever. And so their echo chamber became entirely off the left-wing side. And so... If you spend a lot of time on Twitter and you're a journalist, you're likely to think that everybody in the world thinks like you. On thinks that. like you do, and that's the thing is the, the the like nexus that formed between like the left, the Democrat Party, and corporations, of where the only acceptable opinion is like the left wing opinion, yeah. right? Polls be damned. You know, we're like uh, pretty much every journalist at this point is like, yes, I think uh, you know abortion should be allowed up to the second of conception, right? We're like. 
90% of Americans are like, that is a radical opinion. But they're like, well, everyone I know is, you know, in an apartment in Brooklyn, works for a newspaper and, and, and thinks that's a good idea. So that's what they push. That's the thing. is, And it's acceptable by corporations. Like, yeah, they're, that's they're an opinion that. that you well, can we have. Saw, we heard, we heard, we've had guests, right? Jennifer Say. 100%. Who, who pretty much ran Levi's was yep. saying... She was out doing left-wing Twitter all the time. Nobody said a word. Nothing. She dropped something that expressed some hesitancy about locking kids out of schools and, mm -hmm. and mask mandates, and all of a sudden she was on the outs. Which now we have like a ton, a ton of information about how harmful that was for kids. Yeah, and, and they still don't. They still don't want to. They still, they still don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Anyway, go go. Put the buck knife in your teeth. <laughs> Get out there on Twitter. Let's see what happens. And for any of the left wingers who are thinking about dropping left, uh, like thoughtful lefty takes put your face on it get your name on it 100 get out there yeah. and let's let's have a look yeah because i love i love digging up your tweets where you have your awful opinion like a year ago of being like inflation is not gonna be a problem because <laughs> it goes both ways uh all right so this is in the grill dad uh component but i this is a great debate this is a very important debate it's a great debate i want to hear ashbrook's take because i'm not sure that i totally know it but i think i've got a very good idea can a grill dad weigh in on the contentious boneless wings debate? There's no such thing as a boneless wing. Exactly. Right. The, no, no such thing. I mean, you go into B-dubs and they have them on the menu. But, I mean, how often? Everybody is at different stages in life here. I, I get to go to B-dubs <laughs> maybe tw two or three times a year. Yeah, right, yeah, right maybe, bro. To watch you are football always hanging fall. out. You're having a great time. <laughs> it's such a, it's, <laughs> the wildest thing about Ashbrook is he sometimes finds a way He's got a family, but somehow he's always hanging out. He's on vacation. Oh, he's Ash, a Ashbrook is well-traveled. He's a real Houdini in that yeah, regard. Yeah, he is. He really is. <laughs> well, it's hard to make it to B-dubs these yeah. days. However, I will tell you that there is nothing better than regular old buffalo wings. There there's, just, there's nothing better than it. And I mean, I, I get it. It's, some kids don't like boneless wings. Maybe there are some adults out there that... <laughs> or some kids don't like bone the the bone in. I'm sorry. Yeah. Some kids don't like bone in wings. Sometimes you got to get it, but like Well, those are called chicken fingers. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Go get your chicken nuggets. It's on the kids menu. That's what it is. It's not a wing. <laughs> right. It's not a wing. Be like I I want I want my uh, you know, chicken tenders and I want my tater tots and they'll give you a little coloring book. You can have a good time. <laughs> if that's what you're into, <laughs> I don't mind, you know? But if you want to have wings, there's no such thing as a boneless wing. <laughs> well, so they say that there's a poll on this and they say that Chicken wings are considered an old, reliable, classic food. 63% um, are it's the favorite among casual dining appetizers. 54% is followed by chips and salsas. 46% are french fries. Uh, the problem that we have here is that there's a whole bunch of folks that appear to be open to boneless wings when, in fact, as you said, there's no such thing. I no, love there. I love the statistic. It says one in four would dump their date for ordering boneless chicken wings. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'd be like, just get the chicken tenders, man. Well, call it what it is. Why would you not just get the chicken tenders? It's ridiculous. <laughs> like the whole boneless wing thing. So I think it's absurd because also I think is part of the whole thing is it's like uh you know especially like in college you, you know your your favorite sports bar you go with the guys it was like twenty five cent or ten cent wing night I bet it's probably like a buck a wing at this point right. <laughs> With, with Biden's inflation, right. of course. Like, I remember 10 cent wing night. That, you know, I, oh, I that was the best. Me and my crew were putting damage. They mm -hmm. put the, like, giant, like, takeout trash cans next to our table because it's going to be a chicken graveyard in there by the end of the night, right? right. You get pints. You get your your, your, your your chicken wings. You're tossing bones, having a great time with the fellas, you know, watching the football games. Probably a Monday night. You got a good Monday night game. 
Dude, this is what we, I used to, I, when I couldn't afford anything, Yeah, I would go, I would go, I'd have a buddy, and I, he remembers this well, he knows he's talk, who I'm talking about, we would go to a 10 cent wing night, oh, God, and we would it, literally dude. order 200 wings, Yeah, yeah. right, and they'd look at us like, what the fuck yes. are you doing? We're like, dude, we're going to be here all day. I want half the chickens in the state, dude. <laughs> we're going to be here all day. The only downside of that, the next day, oh. is a pretty ugly situation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Like you might as well be the challenger. Are, are you just having uh, the wing straight? You you get your ranch or what? Do you, what what's your side blue? Well, cheese? you gotta go. You gotta go buffalo sauce first, and like the hotter the better in some ways. But then I'm a ranch guy. I'm not a blue cheese. Uh, blue I don't cheese? mind the blue cheese. Yeah, I'm not like somebody who's like I can't have. Blue. I don't mind it, but my preference is ranch. I love the blue cheese, you, man. You don't do ranch at all. I mean, I will if it's the only option because I'm not picky. I'm not picky. But if if there's an option, I'll go with what I like. Right? If yeah. they got the blue cheese, oh god. Well, this is a perfect story for right now because we just finished the first week of training camp for the NFL. Yeah. We are one Sunday closer to kickoff. And I mean, this is, I I just, I can't wait. This fall, cool weather, Buffalo Wings, NFL Sunday. It's just going to be so fun. Life is so good. God, I can't wait. Well, one place where where life isn't great. (laughs) Great sake. Appears to be California. (laughs) (laughs) Great sake. So this is, uh, according to the Gazette Extra, an acceleration of people leaving coastal California began during the first year of the pandemic. But new data shows that it continued even after the lockdowns and other COVID restrictions eased. California ranks second in the country for outbound moves, a phenomenon that has snowballed during the pandemic, according to a report from the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, which tracks data from moving companies, United Van Lines, between 2018 and 2019. California has an outbound move rate of 56%. That rate rose to nearly 60 in 2021. Wow. So, like, of all the trucks, 60% were like, we're not coming back. We're not coming back. (laughs) See you later, assholes. (laughs) And, like, this guy wants, uh, Newsom wants to start beef with DeSantis, which is so wild because DeSantis is like, Dude, like half your state is here now. <laughs> they are sick of your shit. Seriously, though. I mean, citing uh, changes in work-life balance, opportunities for m- remote work, and more people deciding to quit their jobs report found that droves of Californians are leaving for states like Texas, Virginia, Washington, and Florida. I'm not surprised by this. I had a whole bunch of friends who lived in California mm-hmm. during the late 2010s. Mm-hmm. Every one of them moved. Yeah. Every single one of them moved during COVID. Yeah. It, it, it's like I knew a ton that went from San Francisco to Miami and they're just like loving life under DeSantis but they but but yet progressive Democrat which is all Democrats correct believe that's the laboratory for what ought, ought to happen to this country right I mean they think that everything they're doing there the nanny state on mm-hmm. steroids they're like oh California's great and like Newsom is 100% like measuring the drapes at the White House when he rolls up when Joe Biden's gone, Newsom rolls up and he's like, the old man's got a croak sometime. He's got COVID twice now, two-time champ of COVID. Yeah, can we talk about that for a second? <laughs> yeah, that is so wild. He's like, all right, guys, I'm okay. 24 hours later. No, and, and the best is like he tried spiking the football and being like, Trump, you know, Trump didn't get well so quickly, did he? I, I'm looking great. And then he like instantly tests positive again. He's back in the unit. <laughs> the guy's back in the unit. Like, I, this is so, look. Forever, everybody would get canceled by questioning whether or not, like, the vaccinations worked, whether they worked to prevent future COVID. And, like, people literally got thrown off social media for doing it, right? And then we found definitively that not only did it not prevent future outbreaks, 
that in some cases it was actually more likely than not that it, it they were more exposed, right? There are some studies that say that. I love the fact that like Joe Biden, who took over from 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 President Trump, so Trump not only like caught COVID, got over it in like record time. What a time that we had <laughs> under Trump to begin with. Like, let me backtrack. The guy gets COVID, he hops on a chopper, right? He's there, the doctor's like, all right, let's take a look at you. And he's like, actually, I want to hop in the SUV and say what up to everybody. Yeah. He hops in the SUV, waves hi to everybody, and journalists are just like losing their mind, like, how dare this guy? Oh, he's hot box with how the How dare he have a good time? <laughs> Why does he love America? How dare this guy do this shit? <laughs> Goes back, they're like, all right, everything's all good. Chopper's back. And like walks outside without a mask, and journals are like, "What? What? Why is he not wearing a mask outside? This is an insult." Meanwhile, Joe Biden rolls up, like zero masks. His cameraman is getting hot boxed. The dog is even catching COVID from this guy, probably. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, uh, I guess I'm okay." Trump didn't recover as fast as I did. It's like two days later, he gets it again. Like, well, this I, is unbelievable. I, but but it was so amazing what you said. He did a victory lap. Yeah. Right? He tries like, oh, this the Paxlovid, This Paxlovid, I was in and out of there. No problem. I'm, I'm all good. Take this medicine. This is the cure. And then two days later, he's COVID positive again. And I think what <laughs> happened is like Nancy bought up the stock. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing. We're, the satire. We're laughing. Nancy bought up the stock. <laughs> But, but in all honesty, it is incredible to me that we've gone through this entire pandemic and nobody's actually been held accountable for yeah. what is absurd advice in the end. We got to bring back tarring and feathering. We got to bring back tarring and feathering. There is no longer a, a free press that can act as a mechanism to hold people accountable. We got to bring back tarring and feathering. They still, I think, are afraid to write about it. Oh, oh they are. Not, on, not only has nobody been held accountable, I saw Fauci the other day say, I never advocated for a lockdown. Wow. Did you guys see this? Oh, man. We'll find the audio. We'll play it Thursday. He, I mean, he literally said, I never advocated for any lockdowns. Can you imagine Do you know that? why? Do you know why? Because he saw the way that like this administration went to work resetting the definition of a recession. He's like, yeah. okay, I need the same I people on Wikipedia <laughs> to go delete all the shit I said about lockdowns on Wikipedia. <laughs> well, we can make this work. <laughs> I also said he was open to the theory that it was a lab leak. Yeah. Think about that. He did congressional testimony calling Republicans lunatics. And the press went after Rand Paul for it. Yeah, they, they, calling people lunatics for suggesting that it was a lab leak. Not even allowed to ask questions. You're not nobody nobody's allowed no, to get to the bottom of anything. It's because it's way more age. racist to assume it could have escaped from a lab that had a bunch of dangerous shit in there than that it came from a a, a, a fucking grocery store full of animals. <laughs> like <laughs> way more racist to suggest a lab. Here's what I'm saying, like if you're in a position of trust within the government and you take the unconscionable position that you're going to tell the social media companies they need to censor mm -hmm. what people are saying about this because it's so important to Americans' way of life and actually survival. If you're going to do something like that, you better damn well make sure you're right. Yep. This and they were fucking wrong on every yep. single thing. And that's the thing. thing. Is, is, they this, love power because... Yeah. They want to silence all opposition. Their ideas are so terrible. They can't exist. It's the same reason of why why AOC and all these clowns are like, oh, I'm a Democrat socialist because true socialism has never been tried except for like every country where they starved and killed everybody. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's why you can't grant 
bureaucrats absolute authority over anything yep. because they're never they're never responsible to voters. They're never they never have to, to have to like take accountability for their own actions, the things they said, the things they did. Yeah, they're always above it, and they're just going to get a pension and ride off into the sunset. No, which is what he's going to plan on exactly. doing. Right, that's, that's his plan. And he's already the highest paid government employee. He's like, oh well, things are going great. Just hit that Wikipedia, guys. <laughs> I just think it's amazing, as somebody who consumed every bit of news during this period, how you could have such a monolithic view that, A, like lockdowns need to happen, B, everyone needs to wear a mask, C, when vaccines are available, you need to get vaccinated immediately. If you don't, you put your friends and neighbors in jeopardy. Yeah, you're killing grandma. You're killing everybody. Your kids can't go to school because if they do, they're going to infect each other and they're going to infect grandma and everybody's going to die. But if you get vaccinated, it has a preventative component to it where you actually can't spread the virus. There are liberals right now walking this planet that believe that. Yeah, They literally believe that a that a full-fledged vaccination and booster prevents the transmission of COVID. Like, there's literally zero evidence of this. There was, uh, was it, Phil Kirpin on Twitter does a ton of great graphs on this stuff. He's really good follow. And if you look at the graphs that he posts about the infection rates in 20, 21, 22, they're the same graph. It's the same graph, right? Like, the only thing that's different is the, the deaths and hospitalizations. Now, you can make your argument about whether that is a vaccination or whether that's a variant. I don't know. But, you know, I'm open to the idea that the vaccination limits the impact that COVID might have on you. But I'm also eyes wide open about the fact that the flu started as a, as a coronavirus. And that manifests itself in different ways, different years. Sometimes you have a bad flu, sometimes you don't. But it's still here. I mean, the way that right? they, they squandered the goodwill of the American people into just like tyranny it's, and then they, and then they act they act as though it was Trump that 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 had and look I'm not like a Trump guy but let me just say yeah, yeah, the are. idea that this is the guy that that produced a distrust in institutions after some shit like that well I think you're that's wild the, the covid response gave us a taste of socialism Businesses are shut down on the word of the government. Mm-hmm. Schools are shut down on the word of the government. Houses are locked. People are not allowed to leave their houses. Can you imagine what it would be like if we had a socialist country in every aspect of our lives for every year we lived and not just those two years that nobody wants to go back to and repeat? I mean, it gave us a little taste of absolute hell. Oh, there is there is one group who loved it. It's the left. Well, the left did. did I mean, you're right. They love but, control but, and they want to decide who gets the money, who doesn't. Who they get to punish, and who's who, who's a good person gets a little pellet. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's, that's socialism. It that's how it works. That is the system in a nutshell. That is the system in a nutshell. Um, the other side of this system is what we saw come out of Russia here, which uh, is going to be different than what people are expecting. It's about a robot. They're super into chess. Yes, in, I love in this Russia. story so much. Super into chess, but a chess playing robot grabs and breaks the finger of a seven-year-old opponent oh my goodness horrifying how wild is how, how, so so this is from the of Washington, course it's a russian robot it's, it's from the washington examiner I, I gotta read it because it's just it's incredible it says a chess playing robot grabbed and broke the finger of its seven-year-old opponent <laughs> at a moscow chess tournament the incident occurred on july 19th after the young player moved too quickly in violation of safety regulation which is like he moved too quickly for the robot 
What? Somebody, <laughs> somebody program. If you move too much, the robot starts breaking fingers. It's an amazing situation. <laughs> somebody programmed an enforcement mechanism on the robot. It's like it's like a, a Russian robots and Italians. If you move too much, they might start breaking fingers. Right? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Goes back at you. We're gonna get more letters on that. Oh man! We're gonna get more letters oh. on that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The the incident occurred on July 19 (laughs) after the young player moved too quickly in violation of safety regulations, according to this regulatory body that monitors this sort of thing. Uh, It took several spectators to dislodge the child's finger from the robot. Which is amazing. I really wish I wanted to see photos of this, of like... (laughs) 20 people trying to fight a robot as it's crushing a child's hand. Like, I'm the Russian robot. It's like Drago. You know, it's like Rocky IV, right. where the Russians have made just like a child-killing robot, but they also taught it chess. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the guy. This is the guy who's responsible for this. Quote, the robot bro- broke the child's finger. This, of course, is bad. <laughs> <laughs> The robot was rented by us. It has been exhibited in many places for a long time with specialists. Apparently, the oper- operators overlooked this. The child made a move after <laughs> after that. We needed uh, to give it a to- give it time for the robot to answer, but the boy hurried, and the robot grabbed him. The kid's fault. It's the kid's it's fault. It's the kid's fault, dude. This is going to be the future. And then it's he quickly like- said, "Only well, quickly said." We have nothing to do with the robot. <laughs> it's the kid's fault, but we're also not responsible. I mean, it's a glimpse of the future. The, kids, the kid, it's the kid's fault That's for moving thing. too quickly. But this robot, it's, it's a robot. You know, everybody's responsible but me. <laughs> When, when the robots take over, that's that's like the thing. It's like this is the laying this is laying the groundwork for that to happen. We're like, well. You kind of did move too fast, so the robot had to punish you, so right? How him. wild is that? It like breaks the kid's hand. I I, I got to see pictures of this. We I got. I hope there's this. video. It would be just uh, <laughs> yikes. So anyway, uh, let's get to our last interview. This is Christina Nolan. She's running for Senate in Vermont. I want to welcome to the program a very interesting guest in a state that we don't talk about enough here on the Variety Program from the great state of Vermont. Christina Nolan, welcome. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Hello to your listeners. Yeah, well, hello and welcome. You're running for Senate. I'm running for Senate. Very excited. We haven't talked about a Senate race in Vermont in quite a while. There hasn't been. There haven't been enough of them. (laughs) We're glad to have an open seat. Excited to be a candidate. Yeah, well, this is fun. So um, remind us, your background, you're a U.S. attorney. I was the U.S. attorney for Vermont. For Vermont. Yep. Uh, And that was during the Trump years. It was. Um, and, and a little bit of Biden. And a little bit of Biden. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've seen all kinds. I, I understand you have quite a record. Your record precedes you as a U.S. attorney. Well, thank you. Particularly thank you. On, on the issue of opioids, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes. So we um, uh, convicted Purdue Pharma, uh, pharmaceutical giant that sold oxycodone uh, for Ill- illegally marketing oxycodone. Uh, little office in Vermont, or one of the smallest in the country, uh, convicted that pharmaceutical giant. They're out of business. Uh, it was the largest settlement in the history uh, of the of the country against a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, I mean, I've read quite a bit about it at the time. Yeah. I guess I didn't realize that that all derived from your office. Yes, there was one other office that also secured a conviction. Our case was very strong, though, gave us huge leverage over them. Felony guilty plea against Purdue Pharma 
$8.3 billion settlement. Yeah, I mean, that was the biggest thing that's pretty much ever happened in that space. <laughs> that was incredible. It was incredible. And I, I give a lot of credit to my team, and we're very proud of it. Uh, opioid uh, crisis in this country, ra raging out of control. Purdue Pharma is responsible uh, in part for causing it. Yeah, no question about it. We've seen a lot of the documentaries and everything on everything that went into that. Does, yep. Was that something that was evident to you as you started, as you became U.S. attorney? Or is this something that over time you just built an incredible case knowing that the facts were all around you? Well, oxycodone is, uh, yes, it was evident to me. I was an assistant U.S. attorney before I became U.S. attorney, and I prosecuted drug trafficking cases. Okay. Um, and you, you meet a lot of addicted individuals who become witnesses in your cases. And they all talk about starting with painkillers in their, in their addiction story and then moving to heroin and sadly even to fentanyl. Um, but yes, the prevalence of oxycodone flooding the market for medically unnecessary reasons was, a, was the place many people started and got hooked. So huh. I was very aware of Purdue's role uh, and, and very um, motivated when we started the investigation. So you start, let's back up to sort of your early part of your career. Obviously, you're a hell of an attorney. Uh, that your record speaks for itself. Um, did you always know you wanted to get into public service of some kind, or did you just, when you get out of law school, all of a sudden kind of find a pathway that led you there? When I first got out of law school, I clerked for a federal judge, and I watched federal prosecutors in the courtroom, and I thought, yeah, I'd like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that would suit me. That yeah. fits well. Yeah, <laughs> pursuing justice every day, um, holding people accountable. It's a great calling. So I did work at a private firm, a big law firm in Boston for a number of years. Um, had an opportunity at that law firm to work as a state prosecutor on an externship. So you get paid by the law firm, but you get to be a state prosecutor. For well, that's kind months. of the best of both it, worlds, it's, right? It's a dream. <laughs> it's a dream. Right. And you've got to buy a lot of rounds of drinks uh, yeah. for the prosecutors. You can only imagine. Getting paid by the state. Yeah. 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 Your, your public employees next to you are like, yes. hey, have a little something for the effort. Tabs on you. <laughs> but it's well worth it. <laughs> and then I, after I went back to the firm, I said, you know, I just feel called to public service. And I left and I became a state prosecutor. I actually worked without pay for six months. And then I became an assistant U.S. attorney and on to becoming U.S. attorney. That's an amazing pathway. It, it, so now you're running for Senate. Now I'm running for Senate. Now you're running for Senate. And as we said, Vermont, not typically thought of as a Republican state, although a Republican governor. Mm-hmm. And there's been some Republican success in the past. Absolutely. So I'm a born and raised Vermonter, and I understand Vermonters and know the state well. They are an independent-minded people. Um, there are Republicans, there are Democrats, but most Vermonters are independent. Uh, and they are going to vote on the person. And what they're really going to vote on are the issues um, and the need for change in leadership in Vermont and across the country. Well, um, we were talking about this before you got on. Yep. I mean, they haven't had a lot of anything other than 75, 80-year-old men in Vermont lately. We've got Bernie Sanders, Patrick Leahy. I mean, yikes. Yes. And your opponent. My opponent in November, I expect, will be a 75-year-old. Um, <laughs> he's been in uh, politics uh, for 40 years. He won his first statewide office in 1980 when I was age one, <laughs> one year old. And I'm not, I, am, I respect my elders and I was raised well. The reason that this matters to Vermonters is he can't, well, it matters for two reasons. He can't build seniority in the Senate, which right. has been very important to Vermonters over the years um, because it helps make sure that Vermont's not overlooked when somebody has seniority. But it also matters because when you've been in Washington for a long, long time, uh, you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. And we need, and it matters because Vermonters are hungry for change. 
Yeah. Well, I get, listen, that guy, Peter Welch, we're talking about. Yep. Been around forever. Mm-hmm. Anything but dynamic. And I'm saying that, not you. Uh, gives you a lot of opportunity to talk about issues. Mm-hmm basically that everybody else is talking about right because this guy's sort of consumed it seems to me with the ebbs and flow of washington dc and the inner circles and the establishment of the democratic party lord knows you would never buck the party line on on anything but yet you know vermont's not different than anywhere else you're dealing with inflation you're dealing i don't know what the crime is like but if anybody's an expert on that you you are Right. So the crime uh, trends are terrible in Mm. Vermont. Um, Welch has voted against the police time and again. You know where he's really consumed right now is on the far left wing of his party, where where he's caucuses with AOC and votes that way all the time. Um, Meanwhile, we have shootings tragically on the rise in Vermont. There were just three people shot in Burlington um, uh, a couple of nights ago. Hmm. Uh, uh, Fatalities and a a person uh, uh, very critically injured. Um, So we're seeing a a tragic rise in shootings. Uh, We're seeing overdose deaths uh, tragically on the rise. Just had our highest year on record last year. Um, and this all coincides with the defund the police movement, which is happening. It happened in Vermont. Uh, Welch was a supporter, and it's happened which all across wild, the country. Which is wild, right? I it's mean, crazy. How could you ever be a supporter of this, of this situation? Particularly, look, Vermont, like you said, Vermont, I think it's the rap of being sort of a socialist state because of Bernie Sanders, right? But again, you got a Republican governor, and the issue set uh, splits differently than people think, right? This is not some like activist left state, and yet you've got this guy... And Welch is indistinguishable from AOC in a lot of ways. He's, I can't think of ways in which he's distinguishable. <laughs> and he's a rubber stamp for the far left wing of his party. And that's not what Vermonters want right now. They want somebody who will have solutions when it comes to inflation, which is a tax on them that they did nothing to deserve. And it's making their life hard, if not unbearable. And they want somebody who, who will do something about the rise in crime and the overdose deaths. Um, those are top ticket issues for Vermonters. Well, I mean, it's got to be, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it is everywhere. And it's, it's certainly not something you can escape. And yet these guys like Welch are just consumed with, I, I'm sure he's on board for the whole BBB and everything else. And like everything that's led us to this point, they're doubling down upon. I got to imagine when you're talking to your average person in Vermont, they're like, this is nuts. So Vermonters are common sense people um, and they're hard workers. And I, I think they are scratching their heads about how you could vote for a multi-trillion dollar spending bill in a time of 40 year record inflation. <laughs> Do you know what the price? I mean, I, when I go on the trail and we talk about what the prices would be if Welch had got his way on that spending bill, food prices, gas prices, they'd be astronomically higher than they are now. And he still wants to spend, as I understand it. So, <laughs> um, and, and yes, Vermonters want police. They want police. We're losing police every day because they don't have support in Vermont. That changes when I get elected. Yeah. So so let's get our, our audience excited here because I imagine there's a lot of people skeptical that the next state online here is going to be Vermont, right? Why is it that everybody should be excited about a Republican possibility in Vermont? Repu- uh, Republicans are elected to statewide office. We have a, a governor uh, who is wildly popular, who has endorsed Yeah, me. he endorsed you. I he, saw that. Yeah, he's endorsed me. Um, he is on the ballot in November, so they'll be picking up uh, the ballot and voting for him, and I believe me too. Um, we have the endorsement of uh, police unions, uh, local police unions who never endorse in Senate races. Um, as, I, as I continue to say, public 
public safety is on the minds of Vermonters, and they are interested in who the police are supporting. Um, but, but more than anything, Vermonters vote on the person. They're independent-minded people, and they want somebody who will bring them solutions, the solution, solutions to the problems that are on uh, their minds. They don't want to hear extreme left-wing rhetoric. They don't want extreme rhetoric. They don't want somebody who's serving an extreme partisan agenda. They want a problem solver, and yeah. I can be that for them. So let me ask you, in, in Vermont, do you have to like chug a bottle of maple syrup in order to be a qualified candidate? Because I, I mean, it seems to me like that's got to be part of the solution here, right? I might have drank some maple syrup in my life. <laughs> I mean, it's a big maple, and you brought us, you brought us this lovely bourbon here. That is it, Maple Smuggler's Notch Distillery. Yes, and it's it's maple syrup barrels essentially right with whiskey yes that's right it's I mean, it's, it's what's not the love about that talk about the best of all worlds <laughs> <laughs> i love it mm-hmm. well so you're a lifelong vermont lifelong right yep um and and professionally you, you left the state once you came right back as fast as you could represented it uh in in incredible fashion in the u.s attorney's office um you think you can make big progress? I mean, you think you can actually change the the minds of those who are skeptical of the Republican Party? You know, for some reason, look, we've not had a ton of success other than the, the governor, as you as you said. But there's, I think, a tendency for Democrats to be able to paint what you are, right, yeah. and what you believe as being a Republican. Right. right. I'm a Christina Nolan Republican, and that is what we need in the Senate. There are, there are only 100 of these seats, only so many coming open each cycle. One senator can make a big difference, and I, I think we, we see that every day. Um, and I know how to lead. I, I've done it for years in Vermont. Uh, I can lead again in the Senate. Um, and I, yeah, I think, I think it's just the right time in the country for change and a new generation of leadership, some fresh perspective. I know Vermonters are hungry for it. I mean, I got to imagine people are crying out for generational change. I mean, look, President Biden, we were talking earlier, I think he carried Vermont with like 68%. Mm-hmm. But even his numbers don't look that great anymore up there. That's right. Uh, as I understand from the most recent polling, he's under 50%, maybe, you know, mid or early 40s. Which is pretty wild. I mean, that's a 20-point swing in the course of a year and a half, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's a, there's a change afoot. V- Vermonters don't like extremism on either side, and they don't like the prices that they're paying in the grocery store or at the pump. And they don't like this crime. They're afraid. They're afraid to be in certain parts of Vermont right now. That's not the Vermont I grew up in. Right, right. So uh, did you ever think you'd get into politics? Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't until this seat came open. Um, I have always felt called to public service, as, we, as we've talked about. Um, but it came open, and I said, some people, people of character need to step forward in both parties. Um, and we need new leadership. Um, and I felt like it was the time. Yeah, was there was there a moment in particular? Because we've talked we've talked to a lot of vets who say the Afghanistan retreat for them was like the moment that they decided that they were going to run. And then we've talked to other people who are like small business owners and whatnot, and they're saying, you know, I mean, the moment we saw everybody passed over with these trillion dollar bills and knew that they were going to get stuck with the tab, I had to get involved. Was there a moment for you where you felt like this is just too much? I got to do this. You know, I have thoughts and opinions on a lot of different things. Um, but I think the moment was when the people who knew me best, uh, friends and family, uh, you know, people I'm close to said, you're the person for this moment. Um, it felt like 
uh, the people who love me and the people who know me thought it was the thing to do. Well, that always helps. It does. It always it doesn't helps. hurt. <laughs> not, when they're against it, it's rough. It's so, tougher yeah. to get the permission slip on the back end yeah. if you've talked yourself into it and the family's still reluctant, right? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> well, your family's all for it. They're all for it. They're all for it. They march in parades. Um, they go to fairs. Uh, Which, you know, I mean, are, were you a parade-going person prior to this? No. <laughs> I was just going to no. say. I, but I have marched in more parades than I can count this now, now you love them. But I actually really like them because people are happy. They're out having fun again. You know, they were yeah. stuck at home for years. There's positive energy. We need more of that. Yeah, totally. Well, and you get to see different people from all walks of life, right? Yep. I mean, different towns. across. I bet there's places in Vermont you'd never been that you've now been as a candidate i've been to a lot of places in vermont having been born and raised it's not that big you know? yeah it's right not that that's big. true there's only six hundred and forty thousand or so of us and, it, and you can cross the state in about three and a half hours or so, so. and you all live in log houses is my understanding yeah. right is that hunt <laughs> grizzly bears there's and a lot like that. of dirt roads and log houses and farms <laughs> yes um, i have never hunted a grizzly bear i may be brave enough to run for senate but i'm not that brave <laughs> that is that is a different layer of, bra- uh, yep, of bravery that's there. a bravery i don't have but it is a different place right it i is. mean it's and it, it's very unique and it's not you know next to New Hampshire it's not New Hampshire mm-hmm. it, it's got its own sort of brand of politics it is very unique I don't know if you visited it's also the most beautiful state I mean it, it's just you know the people are wonderful they're civil uh, like I said they're hardworking. they have common sense they take care of each other which we need more of um, but it's also nat- got a natural beauty that's just unparalleled yeah so as you're going out and talking to people um it, 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 obviously, you, you mentioned the need for change, which is, is self-evident in a lot of ways. How are you making the sale with folks? Are we talking about all the issues we talk? What's bothering people the most? Is it inflation? Is that the economy? Yeah. I mean, we're in a recession, or we're headed into one. I I, I tend to think we're in one. Um, mm-hmm. And but but the the prices are affecting every sector of the economy. Um, and I will say this, workforce. I hear about workforce oh, all the time. In Vermont, in, uh, whether it's agriculture, whether it's medicine, no matter the uh, hospitality, of course, they're having trouble uh, getting people to work and to stay in Vermont uh, or come to Vermont to work. So I think the economy, and, and like, I, like I've talked about, law and order, um, you know, I've talked about the shootings, but it's more than that. Things are out of control everywhere. There's car, there's car uh, break-ins, graffiti, retail theft. I talk to business owners who have things taken off their shelf. They call the police, and the police say, "I'm sorry, ma'am or sir, Jeez. I just can't come because we don't. There's not enough of us on duty." That's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. How much do you think? You know, in a lot of different states, handled COVID differently. And I'll be honest, I'm unfamiliar with exactly how Vermont handled it. But how much of the sociological pressures you think were caused during the COVID time and they just basically never solved? I think that's part of it. Mm. Um, as I was a U.S. attorney for during COVID, and so I watched as domestic violence reports yeah. went up. I watched as overdose deaths started to creep up again, even though uh, in 2019 when I was U.S. attorney, they came down for the first time. But COVID was not helpful when it came to overdoses treatment providers had to change their way of doing business um, children were stuck online at home and ch- um, child exploitation uh, reports went up so I think it was tremendously harmful and I'm glad I appreciate appreciate the way Governor Scott got us out of it um, mm-hmm. and back into sort of a economy where we and, and a life where we manage life with the virus has education taken a big hold there too I mean you know in Virginia for example where I live I'm not sure that every parent left right or center, 
had any idea the problems that their school systems were facing, both in terms of curriculum and in terms of, you know, basically what the priorities of their school boards were until COVID. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they became intimately aware of all of that. I got to imagine that translates to a certain extent in Vermont as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, parents got a real window into everything that was happening at school when their kids were stuck at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, that did energize um, uh parents that had not been as involved before and i encourage parents to be involved with every aspect of their children's lives we all should no 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 question so you think joe biden's coming to uh rescue peter welch anytime soon you think that open invitation is happening you know i haven't talked to the president lately so (laughs) i'm not up maybe my campaign manager has but i'm not i'm not i'm not up to date on that not up to date i think i think he's gonna need to because i fully expect uh this race to be very competitive i'm determined to win the uh, Vermonters in the country desperately need change. Yeah, well, no question about that. I think you're going to find that the enthusiasm for Peter Welch is not exactly at an all-time high. I That's what I'm hearing everywhere I go. I mean, there are Democrats telling me every day, I'm going to vote for you. I'm a lifelong Democrat, but I've had it. I've had enough. And this goes back to the extremism. There are Democrats who don't understand this extreme defund the police movement. There are Democrats who don't understand this extreme level of spending in a time of inflation. Mm-hmm. Because these are common, these really are not Republican or Democrat issues. These are common sense issues. Yeah. Um, so Democrats are telling me they're going to vote for me. And another thing that's really exciting is people are, t- who are, are telling me who have never been engaged in politics before um, that for the first time they're voting or they're, they're registering to vote so they can vote for me or they've donated for the first time in their lives. Um, and that's just really encouraging. Yeah, that's brand new, right? And it, again, it's not a state that has had a targeted Senate race for the last, I mean, gosh, no, I don't even know how long. I mean, maybe Bernie Sanders. I guess it was Sanders. It was, yeah. Yep. I mean, wow. Mm -hmm. It has been a while. So the muscle memory has to get back up to speed. It sounds like you're already making it happen. People are, people are paying attention. They are paying attention. Uh, That's great. That's great. Well, I have three big questions for you. Okay. These are the ones that everybody pays attention to. Is the answer NolanForSenate.com? <laughs> I was going to give you an opportunity, but I'm glad you've taken it. She's learning. She's getting, This is a good candidate. I can tell already. I'm working hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first question is if you could plan your last meal on earth, mm-hmm. what would it be? So I get nervous just thinking about that. And, and, I, and I don't feel a lot of appetite because it means I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, so, but you can't prevent that piece so, in this question, right? I, I, I so understand. You, uh, like, uh, I have to answer. Hands off the wheel. I have to answer. So I would power through, and there's a place called a Single Pebble in Vermont. It's the best Chinese food I've ever had. Uh-huh. Um, and I wouldn't have guessed that the best Chinese food in the world was in Vermont. <laughs> not, Vermont is a special place. And <laughs> if you come, you've got to go to a Single Pebble. Single I've pebble. never had better Chinese food. Nice. Um, so, okay. So I'd order. I'd try to eat as much as I could off that menu and not think about my impending death. Yeah, well, you could eat your way through it. Yeah, I, I, I would do my best, especially since I committed to it. <laughs> <laughs> are we going with it like, a, are you sticking with the Chinese flair when we're dealing, are we doing the beverage, perhaps? We have, oh, I'll have some wine with that. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm about to die. How so. about some of this maple uh, bourbon? I'm not sure how well that would go with the Chinese food. <laughs> okay. I'm going to stick with the red wine. Okay. All right, a red wine. That's fair enough. Yep. Um, all right, so if you never got into public service at all, right, mm-hmm. and yours obviously stretches into your time as a, as a U.S. attorney and before that, and you have this kind of blank canvas, mm-hmm. 
and it's not not fair to say I would just become I would stay a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You got to like blue sky this thing. You yep. got this big piece of time mm-hmm. that yep. you can fill it with whatever in the world you wanted to fill it mm-hmm. with. What would it be? You know what I'd like to do is write screenplays. Yes. I, I, Let's like talk to, more about that. I'd like to write stories because anything can happen in a story. Um, I like that. And I'm trying to write the story of this election as we speak. Um, but I'd like to, you know, I'd like to write stories that, you know, weren't just about politics. Um, Have you been in, into movies for your whole life? I like movies and TV series very much. Okay. Very much. Yeah. I, I can identify so, with that. So that's probably why I'd like to write them. Did you ever dabble at all? You know, I tried to write once and it didn't work out. <laughs> but if I, but if I can have, you know, if if I could start from the beginning and wave a magic wand, I think that would be really fun. You're like, I wrote one, but it's it sounded a lot like a legal brief. <laughs> <laughs> right. It didn't. It it wasn't something people would buy. My attorneys loved it. Or even read. Yeah. <laughs> my clients don't even like to read my writing. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's listen. That's a unique, a unique answer. A little insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So our third question is the toughest one, but this goes to like what motivates you. Mm-hmm. I think I know, but let me explain it okay. in full. Okay. Thrill of victory or agony of defeat. We be, we think that everybody is essentially motivated by one of these two things. Mm-hmm. And it's not that anybody doesn't enjoy winning or they like losing. That's obvious. Mm-hmm. But the thrill of victory people are just sort of consummate optimists who are charging up the hill, right? They just want to get to the next accomplishment and that's fulfilling for them the agony of defeat people don't enjoy the accomplishment at all like it lasts like two seconds they're like great good job but any defeat or setback they've ever had in their life that's what they use to motivate them to for that next hill yep so on that spectrum where do you find yourself it's interesting i'm going to answer the question it's interesting how you set it up because i do think of myself as an optimist and i believe people can still make change and get things done and work together however I'm more motivated by the agony of defeat because if you lose, you don't get to do those things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you struck me when you, listen, you seem very much like an agony of defeat person. And again, this is not, this is not a, are you optimistic or are you pessimistic person? That's a different question mm-hmm. altogether. Yep. This is like what you use to motivate you. Yep. Right. Yep. And what, how you get out of bed in the morning and go tackle the world. Mm-hmm. And it's roughly been a 50-50 split, don't you think? And everybody that we've interviewed, mm-hmm. it's roughly a 50-50 split. You strike me as someone who deals with victory in a, like a thumbs up, what's next type way. Right. Once when, when you make that step, when you cross that finish line, that means there's work to do, if you're me. And you want to spend your time productively. And so, yeah, I would just be thinking about what the to-do list was, how to triage, what to tackle next. I can remember sitting at the conference table as U.S. attorney with sort of my senior staff um, the the day after I was sworn in. All I could think about was, wow, there's so much to do. There's no time to revel in victory. (laughs) But if you don't even have the opportunity, that's the worst nightmare. Do you remember, do you remember just at the top of your head, like a big setback in your life? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Top of mind, right? What's, well, I mean, I have setbacks for sure. I mean, the first time I tried to try a case as a state prosecutor, the judge, I did so badly uh, that the judge threw the case out and uh, I got the nickname uh, in the office, uh, Vinny, after my cousin Vinny. My cousin Vinny. <laughs> See, so. I knew it. I knew if we talked this through enough that like whatever victory you had, like the Purdue Pharma thing, I'm sure you're like, yep, no, very important, super specific. Yep. That was the top of mind thing. If I were to add, you'd be like, that's the one that I remember most. 
Yeah, that, that was a hard day. <laughs> it was a hard day to get yelled at by the judge and then go back and get that nickname, and it stuck. It stuck. Vinny wins in the end. He does. He does. Vinny Optimist. wins in the end. He's got, he stays at it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I love it. So for people who want to help out, you mentioned your website. Mm-hmm. You can do that again. Mm-hmm. It's nolanforsenate.com. Okay. And I assume you're going to be out and about sort of barnstorming Vermont here from now until the end. As much as I can, we're going to work. We're already working harder than my opponent, but we're going to continue to outwork him um, and spread the message that uh, things can be better. They haven't been going in the right direction, but with new leadership, uh, they, they will go in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, and this is a precious Senate seat where Vermont can have so much influence um, over, the whole, over what happens in the country. And I think we need to bring that independent voice of Vermont to Washington and be that difference. Well, there is no question that if you won, there would be more attention paid to this Senate seat than any other Senate seat in the world, because you would shock the world with it. Vermont will lead the country. It, I mean, it certainly has the opportunity it to. It will, yeah. No question about mm-hmm. that. You've gotten good buzz in D.C. I know, you know, typically people at this time of year, they start looking at the map in different ways, and it's like, well, these three, I don't know how they're going, and people start looking for other seats to start paying attention to. And sort of at the top of the list that people have been talking about is Vermont. I'm so glad to hear it. Um and I did expect that to happen. Um, I'm not taking anything for granted. I will always have appropriate humility. But we, I, I'm running because I, well, I'm motivated to make change. But I also know that this can be won. And I have every intention of doing that. That's awesome. Listen, Christina Nolan, I can't thank you enough for coming here, sharing your story. Stay in touch. Let us know how the campaign's going. Will do. Thank you guys so much for having me. Honored to be here. Thanks. Okay. Look, man, I think that she is going to give Peter Welch a run for his money. I, I really do. In this environment, in that state, is atypical. It, it's 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 it doesn't always do what you expect it well, to. Well, it's do. got a Republican governor, right? Exactly. Granted, it's not a Republican governor like we see Republican governors in other places of the country, which is pretty moderate. But the point is, it's a Republican. If you didn't, ha- if you had a Republican there now, regardless of how she voted, you wouldn't be dealing with reconciliation. Right. We wouldn't be dealing with any of that. I mean, that, that's the thing. The agenda setting is actually pretty important. As we get post-primary here, some of these Republican candidates are not going to be your favorite candidates out there. They're just not going to be. Not everybody wins primaries who you want them to win. But in the end, do you deal with a record-setting tax increase in the middle of uh, inflation at its record, in the middle of a recession, or not? And none of that comes to fruition if you have Republican majorities. Mm-hmm. So, like, these are the kind of candidates you really, really need to get behind. I think she's inspiring. She's got a very interesting story. And, um, you know, we just kind of scratched the, the tip of the, just the surface on it. But uh, she's somebody that you're right, Ashbrook. I think she could make a difference. And that's the thing is it's going to come down to all of us because the red wave is not something that's happening. It's something we're doing, folks. So get involved. Find a candidate that you support. Put in the work and let's make it happen. And another banger of an absolute, uh, absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Thank you so much to our listeners. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>